When we trust Jesus Christ, when we believe in him, we get eternal life. And it's great to know that we have eternal life. Realize that the moment we believe in Christ, there is forgiveness. The moment you believe in Jesus Christ, there is eternal life and righteousness and forgiveness given to believers. All sins, past, present, and future. Now, this deals with our relationship. As we live our Christian life, we sometimes sin, and that deals with fellowship. The moment you believe in Christ, all your sins are forgiven for all time. That's in your relationship. Fellowship is different. When you sin as a Christian, you're out of fellowship. And you must confess your sins because he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. We get back into fellowship. So what we realize is this, that every one of us, we have eternal life, we're saved and saved forever, and we have total forgiveness of all sins. That's in our relationship with God. But we also have fellowship. So when we sin, we need to confess it. Now, let me remind you, as you study this, we all know that David is the king. He's ruling. Everything's going good. And, and the time of the year in the spring when they go fight, they didn't fight in the wintertime. It was too cold and too, too wet. So they didn't fight usually in the wintertime. But in the spring, when it was time to fight, David sent his soldiers out to fight, and he didn't go. And one night, while they're out fighting, he looks outside, he sees a woman bathing, and he's got the, in the city of David, which is named after him, which is part of, of, of Jerusalem, that called the, the city of David. The, go, go down to Bethlehem, that, that's his hometown. But there was a section of Jerusalem called City of David, which where the palace was. And he looks out, it's, it's raised up higher than every place else, and he looks down and he sees this woman, and she doesn't have any clothes on, she's bathing, and he, he wants her. So he asks somebody, find out who that woman is, and they go and find out. They come back and say, that's the wife of one of your soldiers, uh, Uriah the Hittite, that's his wife, her name is Bathsheba. And he calls for her, and she comes up, and you, you, you raise questions like, and we'll see this when we get into Second Samuel, why did she come? Well, if the king calls you, do you think you might go? I mean, you know, if the president called you, well, no, that's a hard one to say now. I probably, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't want to go. Forget that. But anyway, uh, anyway, so she goes and they blow it and David has sexual relations and she gets pregnant. He ends up killing her husband in war and he marries her and he tries to cover it up and he goes probably for a, a while, maybe a year. And then Nathan, the prophet comes to him and tells him a story and shows David, and David admits and says, I, I'm the, and he said, David, you're the one. You're the one that sinned. And so David recognizes it, and so he writes. He writes a song, which is him confessing to God for his sin. That's, that's what it is. And this, the outline is a lot there. The first part is where he's talking about forgiveness and cleansing. He confesses it. That's part two. There's great joy about cleansing. And then he says, here's what I'm going to do now that I'm back in the fellowship and I'm going to serve you. That's what we see. And so we're going to go quickly through this. It's not going to be something we're going to go into the details. It, we, we could spend a great bit of time just on this because there's so much there. As you know, there's so much in every passage. I mean, you could take one verse from the Bible in a lot of places and spend the hour just on one verse just talking about how it all fits together. Well, anyway, we're going to see this, and it starts off with a petition. Once again, uh, notice it says, it's a psalm of David when Nathan came to him, Nathan the prophet, after he'd gone into Bathsheba. And so we're not sure. Most people believe that maybe a year has passed and that David has covered this all up. If you remember, they had a baby, and the baby died, and, and, uh, and then they're going to have another baby, and that other baby's going to be named Jedediah. 
If you might know him by Solomon. Jedidiah means beloved of the Lord. That's his name. He's also named Solomon, which means peace. But anyway, that's going to come from them. But he's blown it. And guess what? If I asked you to raise your hand, if you have blown it, not just today, (laughs) any time last week, what would you do? We'd all go, yes. So we need this, don't we? What do we do when we sin? We confess our sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. So watch. He starts off with the petition, and the petition deals with forgiveness and cleansing, and it's all based on the grace of God. Look what he says. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgression. Is that true? Isn't it something? Can you come to God and say, O God, because you're so great, blot it out, deal with it, forgive it, cover it up, take care of it? The answer is yeah. And notice he says, be gracious to me. It's all by grace. We realize that salvation is by grace. The Christian life is by grace. Even our future is by grace. The whole thing is by grace. And so when we blow it, what do we do? We, we confess it. And he says, oh Lord, I'm coming to you and I love, look at the first part of the verse. Be gracious to me, oh God, according to your what? Your what? Loving kindness. You remember that word loving kindness? It's hesed. I talked about it on Sunday morning uh, because it's, it's in our passage or we talk about it in Psalm 59 this morning. But notice it says it's a love that never changes. It's a loyal love. It's a covenantal love. God's love never changes. When you are living righteously, he loves you to 100%. When you are living unrighteously, he loves you to 100%. Never changes. Never changes. Oh, he's so good. He's so good to us. He's so bad. Listen, do any of us deserve anything? Listen, it's enough that he saved us forever. Could he say, if you sin, I'm just going to wipe you out. Would he be, would that be okay? It could be. What, I mean, does he owe us anything? No. I mean, is our salvation all of grace? Is our Christian life all of grace? I mean, it's the grace of God that he allows us to live every day. It's the grace of God to get to serve him. So notice what he says. Be gracious to me, O oh my God, O oh Lord, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, deal with my sin. And then he says in verse 2, watch what he says. He says, wash me, cleanse me. Watch. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He says, take care of all that. Isn't that what you do when you confess your sin? You say, Lord, I lied. I come to you now. Thank you, Lord, that you forgive me and cleanse me. Does he wash it away? It's gone. Does he take our sin and put it as far as the east is from the west? Is right? Listen, if you confess a sin right now to God, let's say you lied and right now you confessed it to God. And then you say, oh, God, I wanted to say again, I'm so sorry about the lying. And he says, what are you talking about? I already moved it. It's not on the wreck. It's gone. Right? He didn't remember the sin because he removes it. He says, oh, be gracious to me, Lord. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Clean me from my sin. Well, you know, he kind of blew it, didn't he? Kind of blew it. Some say... That he did, he committed, uh, he broke all of the six, uh, there's ten commandments, the ten main commandments. The first four deal with God, and the second six deal with man. 
And and anybody says, well, he he broke them all. He he didn't honor his mother and father because by his actions dishonored them. He wasn't supposed to murder, but he killed Uriah. He wasn't supposed to commit adultery, but he committed adultery with Bathsheba. He wasn't supposed to steal, but he stole another man's wife. He wasn't supposed to have false witness, but he lied about it all. And he wasn't supposed to covet because he coveted another man's wife. So he broke he broke them all. But guess what? When he sinned. He actually broke that you shall have no God before me. He broke the first four too because God, whenever we sin, what are we actually saying? I'm putting whatever I'm doing above who? Above God. So listen, when we sin, guess what? You break them all. I've had people say, well, you need to try to live by the Ten Commandments. I say, oh, I'll break them all every day. Right? It's easy to break them, isn't it? You can break them just like that. So David says, wash me from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin." And then he gets into the confession part, okay? Because he starts off by saying, cleanse me, Lord. And then look at his confession. I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. He knew exactly what he did. And then notice something that's unusual. Against you and you only have I sinned and I've done evil. What's in your sight is evil and, and that you're justified when you speak. You're blameless. When you say you did bad, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. He tells of his rebellion, and he says that his sin is against God. Listen, we we sin against each other, right? We lie to each other, but ultimately all sin goes back to who? To God. It all goes back to God. That's what David says. David says, against you and you only have I sinned. I've done what's evil in your sight. You're justified when you say I'm wrong. You're blameless when you judge me because I'm wrong. We We may touch other lives, but we sin against God. Let me ask you this question. Who decides what's right and wrong? Our government? Our laws? Isn't it okay in this country to kill a baby in the womb? Isn't that that a law? It's okay, isn't it, in this country? Doesn't the law say you can do that? Is that okay? No. Who decides who's right and wrong? David is saying, you decide, you are the judge, you are righteous when you tell me I did wrong. And whenever we do wrong, we can say, God, you are right. You're always right. When you say don't do something and I do it, I can't look at you and say, well, you weren't really right about this. No, you're right about it. You're right about everything. Now, there's something I want you to see that maybe even if you haven't looked at the next verse very closely, I want you to see that, oh, by the way, we may sin against others, but our sins ultimately against God. David states that he not only has sinned, but he's a sinner. Watch the next verse. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. What in the world does he mean? There's some people say that, that his mother sinned and that his, his being born was a sin because he was doing something wrong. That's not what he's talking about. Every one of us were born in sin, right? Because we're all descendants of Adam and we come into this world dead in trespasses and sins. It's called imputed sin. The imputed sin is put on, is put on Adam's sin is imputed to us, that's through one man sin in the world and death by sin and death passed to all because all what? Sinned, Romans 5, 12. When you came into this world, you're a sinner before you ever took a breath. You were conceived as a fallen person. 
That's what he's talking about. Wow. We go, well, that's not, that's not a great start. No, it's not. No. That's why Jesus died on the cross, paid for sin, took care of the whole issue for us. Wow. So look at verse 6. He goes on to say, Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make, no, make, uh, make me know wisdom. He says, you, you're going to make sure I know what's right. And from there, he then so we've seen that he, he calls out, he admits his sin, and now he wants the cleansing and joy. And let me tell you something. When you sin, and you have the guilt, because you sinned, and you confess your sin, how do you feel after you confess your sin? A whole lot better. You go, whew, thank you, Lord. This is how David's going to be. Look what he says. He says in verse 7, Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. The first thing is the cleansing. And he says, you're going you're to make me whiter than snow. Have you ever thought about like one of those whiteboards and, and all your sins like, okay, Bonita lied. And you got like 10 things that Bonita did. Of course, that took her, those 10 things that she did took her oh, 30 seconds. But anyway, so, and then what happens? It's a whiteboard. It's white as snow. It's gone. The moment we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to what? Forgive us and to what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What does Isaiah said? So your sins be as scarlet, they'll be what? White as snow. Wow. Wow. The reason I love 1 John 1, 9 so much is because he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from... All unrighteousness. Okay, let's say that I got 20 sins and I hadn't confessed them or I don't even remember them and I confess some things. He's faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me from not just the ones I said, from all. So when you deal with sin and you confess your sin, even the things you've forgotten, even the things you can't remember, even the things you never even thought about, he wipes it clean. How do you feel about that? I feel really good about that. <laughs> right? I mean, we should be jumping up and down and saying, thank you, Lord, you are the greatest to take all of the stuff we do and all of the ridiculous things we do, and when we confess it, you wipe it clean. You wipe it clean. And then there's joy. Look at verse 8. Make me hear joy and gladness. Let me hear the joy. Let me, let me, let me have the joy again. You know when you stay in sin, do you have joy? Now, when you sin, you don't have joy. You may have sin. You may have joy when you're sinning. And then, then immediately you go, that, that wasn't good. And then you don't have joy. Happiness and joy are two different things, by the way. Happiness deals on circumstances. Joy deals on fellowship. And so he says, make me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have, let the bones which you have broken rejoice. You know what he mean? What do you mean, bone? You know what he think? He, he began to feel bad. You know, if you stay in sin long enough, it begins to affect you, doesn't it? Doesn't it? And you, people go, I don't know why, but my stomach hurts all the time. I don't know why, but I just don't feel very good. I don't know why, but David writes in one other place that his body burned. He hurt because of his sin, because he didn't deal with his sin. He says, let the bones which you have broke, broken rejoice. And then, 
listen to this. Let me hear the, the joy. Let me hear that sound of gladness. And, and uh, let, let, me, let me go back. He says, hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquity. He's come back to the point and says, please get rid of it all. Please get rid of it all. And then he says this. Create in me a new heart, a clean heart, and renew a steadfast fear. A clean heart, a clean heart. When you sin, you feel what? You feel dirty. The truth is you feel dirty. We feel dirty. I mean, we, we want to sin because sin affects our flesh, and our flesh wants to fulfill that. We have these desires. We have these strong pulls. They're wrong. And, and then when we fulfill those desires, ultimately we feel dirty. We, feel, we know we did wrong. We know we've messed up. We know we've gone against the perfect God who loves us beyond what we could imagine. And so what do we say when we confess it? Oh, create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Help me let me get back pumped up again. Let me, let me get going again. Let me get where I want to live for you again. And then verse 11 is one that in one sense we can't really apply part of it. He says this, do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Now the truth is that when we sin, it does remove us from his presence in the sense of the fellowship with him. And so when we confess our sins, we're back in the fellowship with him. So we could say that. But the second part, when he says, and don't take your Holy Spirit away from me, just remember that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon Saul and left Saul. The Holy Spirit came upon David. The Holy Spirit could have been taken away from David. Now, it has nothing to do with salvation in the Old Testament. A guy named Belazel, Holy Spirit came upon him, and he designed all of the articles for the tabernacle. See, it was the Holy Spirit helping him to do that. So the Holy Spirit could come and go, and David, in the midst of this sin, what does he say? Don't take your Holy Spirit away. Because he knows that he has to have God's power if he's going to be a great king. And we have to have God's power. Now, he's not going to take it away from us. We just, we, just, we just lose it. Look what he goes on to say in verse 12. Restore, restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And notice, he didn't say, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Whose salvation is it? Who gives us salvation? It's his salvation. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And then he says, restore. He didn't say restore salvation. He says, restore what? The joy. Because you never lose salvation. Listen, the Old Testament, anytime a person ever believed in the coming Messiah in the Old Testament, they, they have eternal life. They're born again. They enter the kingdom. Going all the way back. So sometimes people say, well, in the Old Testament, you could get saved or you could lose it. No, you couldn't. The moment you believe in the Old Testament, you're saved and saved forever, just like the moment you believe in the New Testament, you're saved and saved forever. So what does he say? Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Lord, I, I just want to, I want to live for you. And then, and we're going to just have to go fairly quickly. Look what he says. So what have, what have we seen? He starts out and says, oh, be gracious to me, Lord. Take care of my sin. I've sinned against you. I want to have joy again. I want you to cleanse me. I want to have joy. I want to have fellowship. I want to be clean. I want to have all of this. And then he says, now, here's what I'm going to do then. Look at verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. He said, I'm going to teach others. He's going to tell four things he's going to do. He says, because of my sin and because you've forgiven my sin and because you put me back and you've given me joy again and you're going to let me serve you again and live for you again, 
I promise, first of all, I will teach others. I will teach transgressors your ways. I will teach people how to live righteously. I'll teach people that when they sin, what do they do? Confess, Confess it. I'm going to teach them that. I'm going to teach them these kind of things. And so he's saying, I'm going to teach people that, you, that the way, the truth, and the life. When God forgives you, how do you feel? Yes. And God says, okay, now do something for me. Serve me. And we go, I'll tell other people about Jesus. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? And look what else he says. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to praise you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. My tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. What do we say? We say, you know how great God is. He's so great that when you actually are in open rebellion against him, and you confess it, he forgives you, and he'll use you all over the place. People say, well, I've done so much, God could never use me. Don't be ridiculous. As long as you're alive on this earth, he will take you and use you for his glory. Never too late. You're never too old. You're never too young. You're always just right. Then there's more. He said, what we need is a broken spirit. And I don't mean that. He doesn't mean it in a bad way. He says, the sacrifices of God, verse 17, are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart to God you will not despise. Now, what he actually means there is not a broken spirit like you don't have any life anymore. It means that I realize that, that in humility, I have to come to God. I have to come to God. He is the one. He is the one that takes care of everything. He is my God. He is my Savior. And that's what humility is. You know, what does he do? What does he do? He, he raises up the humble and he what? Puts down the what? The proud. The proud. When I, I've been reading, of course, you know, I read, I know that you're doing this too now because I asked you to do it, but you're all reading the proverb every day, right? And when you read them, there's, there's so much wisdom in there and it'll, it'll say things like, you know, um, the wise, the, the God will raise up the humble and he will take down the proud. And the more you study through the scripture, you see that the big issue is pride. What caused the sin of, uh, of Satan? What caused the sin of Satan? Pride. What caused the sin of Adam and Eve, a man? Pride. What causes your sins? Pride. You know what David said? I deserve that woman. I'm the king. I can do just about anything I want. I'm the king. Right? When you start thinking that because of who you think you are or because of something, you, you, that's pride. Pride always gets pushed down. Humility always gets raised up. That's why when you read the, the passage in Philippians, it says God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Why? Because he humbled himself to be obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Jesus humbled himself. He's exalted as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Okay, wait, time is up. So we got one more thing. That's humility, broken spirit. And then finally, he says, I'm going to offer sacrifices. He says, by, your, by, by your, your, your favor, do good design. And then he says, you will delight in righteous sacrifices, verse 19, in burnt offerings. Now, he lived in the time in which that you could come to God and say, this is a sacrifice of praise to God. It was called a thank offering. And you could bring an animal and sacrifice it and say, I'm just, I'm just thanking God for all he's done for me. What sacrifice 
can you offer? I have people say, oh, we don't offer sacrifices in the New Testament. Yeah, we do. Romans 12, we offer our lives as what? Living sacrifices. Hebrews 13 says we offer up the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Philippians says that when you give to other people, that is a sacrifice to God. So, have you sinned? Everyone says, yes. Do we confess our sins? Yes. Is he faithful and just to forgive us? Yes. Is it white as snow? Yes. What should we do? Well, we should teach others. We should praise God. We should have a humble spirit. We should offer our sacrifices. So let's go quickly. Let's confess our sin. Let's understand what confession is. It's telling on yourself. Understand the results of confession. We're back at the fellowship. Let's understand that sin is ultimately against God. And let's be faithful to serve. And watch now. What do we do? We proclaim the salvation. We praise God. We're humility. And we offer sacrifices even in our own lives.